Why go to all the trouble of experiencing the great outdoors for yourself when you can listen to a few Northwest outdoor experts yap about it? This is the Three Rivers Marine Outdoor Line with Tom Nelson, Rob Ensley, and Joey Pyburn on Seattle Sports Station. The Outdoor Line is brought to you by Yamaha, Sportco Outdoor Emporium, Weldcraft, and Duckworth Boats, Roy Robinson RV, Kitsap Marina, Harbor Marine, Ray Marine, and Les Schwab Tires. Welcome to Hour 2 the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and Seattle Sports App. We actually got Robbo back in studio, Joey. Yeah, it's nice. One, one in a row. One Thanks for not canceling my key card to get back in the building. <laughs> that's, uh, Thank that's you, up, Kyle Brown. That's up to station management. Yeah, exactly. Where have you been hiding, Rob? <laughs> well, I went on this hunting escapade here for a few weeks, and yeah, kind of went off the deep end. I'm back in treatment again, and go. I'll be back at work here for a little while at least. So, <laughs> Special yeah. guest Heather Duvel this morning, uh, AK Moosey on Instagram, 20-some thousand followers on Instagram, just absolutely crazy. But one of the things that, that have really attracted folks to your page is your your the traditional food and game prep that it isn't just what you do it's kind of who you are and how you live mm-hmm. yeah it's just it's it's our way of life so I actually started the page my dad was diagnosed with late stage cancer and I didn't have social media and I started that page as a way it was for us you know for me to share everything he's taught me and our cultural traditions and it was like a positive outlet for me, and then it just sort of caught on, and people really Little did admire you know, the connection that it, me and my dad have, and I just think yeah. he's the best. You know, he is the best. Yeah. He's a great teacher, mentor, culture bearer. You know, he's an elder in our community, and our elders are our most cherished assets. They know so much, and they have so much to share. So, yeah, just took off, and it's great. I love sharing it with you guys, and... But it's it's the connection to your food and the connection to the land that that you know they're some of the happiest and healthiest people I know have that they're they're anglers they're hunters you know they they go out and get their food share it with other people but it's you know in following the seasons and following the animals and and Rob you said it a couple of weeks ago it's it's not just it, it it's the places that you have to go to to get the deer to get the salmon to get the elk whatever it is right. And and in your case, you know, even seals, right? And and just spending that time outdoors well, the, and being in tune with the seasons. The whole outdoor pro- the process, right? Uh, the preparation, the work. And then when you do harvest the animal, like some of I, I love to waterfowl hunt. I hunt deer and elk and bears and all this stuff. And and then you get to go home and, and process the animal. That's our and, favorite part yeah, of the whole deal. Like, man, I, I... Eating what we bring home. Well, and, and processing. I love... Cleaning the ducks and taking the livers and the hearts and, you know, the gizzard and processing out all this stuff, taking the feet off and drying them for my dogs, for dog treats, and and just utilizing as much of the animal as you can. And, Bailey and, loves goose feet. Um, so we have a text here from the 425, and during the break, I was asking you about when you harvest the deer, what else do you harvest other than just the meat? Heart. Right. Heart, liver. We keep the stomach. And well, that's the question the from question, the 425. Is how, how do you prepare you, the yeah. stomach of the deer to yeah. eat? So um, the elders used to like when you brought would bring them a stomach and didn't rinse it. Um, we act, when left some of the contents inside. Um, we actually will rinse it in the salt water, you know, when we get down to the beach after you pack the deer out. And then we boil it 
hole and then cut it into strips, you know, like two-inch by three-inch strips. And then we actually fry it in a wok in cooking oil and then just sprinkle it with salt and eat it like a, you know, like a snack. Like pork rinds. Yeah. I was mentioning but pork it, rinds, and yeah, it's, it's similar. Yeah, the texture is a little more rubbery. You know, you have that. Does it get crispy, or is it kind of like a razor clammy kind of a texture? A little, little bit more rubbery. Little, little razor clammy, but yeah. it, you know the outer edges get crispy, and it's really good. It's a treat. I'm doing it. <laughs> I, Joey's favorite thing to eat is porcupine. <laughs> he loves porcupine <laughs> and merganzers too. You're, you, you brought some merganzers home a couple years ago. I'm like, oh, every yeah. year I shoot merganzers oh, yeah. and eat them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic. <laughs> All right. So, so we're getting a bunch of questions. Also about about brining, and we got to we, so obviously the two different ways folks mm-hmm. do it. they dry brine and wet brine. Do you do you ever dry brine at all? I'm I've never I never really have. We don't. Um, yeah. You know the the biggest controversy on my page is is my brine recipe. Oh, right? I know. Yeah. People love to tell me that I brine the wrong way. Um, yeah. I don't uh-huh. think there is a wrong way. It's just whatever you prefer. You know the way that we we put up fish is, you know it's. A process that's been passed down for generations so we just do a quick brine we like to taste we still like to taste the fish mm-hmm. we don't want it to taste like anything else pineapple soy sauce or what have you that blows me away yeah, when somebody, just, Yo, you gotta teriyaki. try my you gotta try my teriyaki smoked salmon uh, i'm like dude no <laughs> yeah we want to taste no. salmon <laughs> so you know it's a quick brine for these quarter inch strips that we talked about earlier but we do cut a thicker strip like a one inch strip and we use, we brine those strips for about three minutes and you know the smoking process is the same but those are um, strips that we use for jarring fish or else um, steaming for dinners so, so we grow potatoes in the garden so you jar it and then can it right you right. pressure can it right right so, so the, just the, the smoking unless it's it has to be either dried completely like this you know, like like your dried fish there, or or cooked or cooked right after, after you after you take and can it. Okay, because we don't brine for you know like Hours. your brine right the overnight brine. Um, yeah, the parasites are still alive. Sure. So when we take the fish out of the smoker, you know they're still there. They're still living. So we either have to dry the strips like what I have here, or else put them in jars and pressure can them. And we also keep the bellies and collar pieces out oh, yeah. and steam them for about seven minutes and eat them with garden garden potatoes. Mm-hmm. That's like one of my favorite meals. <laughs> so so one of the things, you know, and we're, the question was from the 425, what's the best way to get a dry brine all the way through thick Chinook? So I don't, there's there's really no way to do it. And, and so the method that you have of opening the fish up with these long strips, and again, go to AK Moosey on Instagram and, and scroll back and you see your father Cutting entire fillets from the collar down mm-hmm. to the tail, quarter inch strips, right? And so you're opening up so much more surface area that allows you to have really, really short brine times, mm-hmm. and and then more more completely dry the fish, and, right? And that's and that's the key. So, I don't think I, you know another way to do it is just to take them and cut them down. You yeah, know, take that right. fillet and cut it down. If you don't want to do the strip method. You know, cut them an inch and a half strips, and then the brine gets in there. But but I think what this gentleman was getting at is, you know, you, you put the huge chunk of king in there. 
I don't do that. I cut yeah. them down, yeah. and you do the same thing, same Tom. Thing. When we get, you know, you, you're kind enough to bring in some smoked salmon. It's always cut in like an inch and a half to maybe two inch strips, crossways, cross the grain, and that way all the brine gets in there. And you try know? to try to make your, you know, uh, you take that big fillet. Yeah. You want every piece to be fairly uniform. Yeah, so the, for sure. So the brine gets in there. And then it smokes evenly. Yeah. So. Yeah. So and then the one another advantage that that you have, Heather, is, is the fact that you. You're mostly smoking fresh fish. Right. Right. They're fresh. We usually like to let them go through rigor. Yeah. So they're easier to cut after they've gone through their rigor stage. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So usually the next day is when we strip them. There's something about that. Oh, interesting. The texture's a little bit different, Hmm. and you never want to straighten a fish. If your fish comes in, you don't want to straighten it out. You never want to straighten it out because it's going to pull it apart. Yeah. That's absolutely key. Now, now, the other aspect of that is, too, there's something on an en- enzyme level that happens as well. Because, I, I mean, I grew up eating Chinook and eating fresh, you know, a lot of fresh Chinook. And, and I remember, you know, sometimes the day you catch them, you, you can eat them. That's fine. To me, the peak flavor of, of especially fish like a Chinook or coho is the next day. Is the yeah. day after there's something about the taste. Shrimp, too. We wait till the next day. They're easier to peel. They've gone through the rigor stage and they're. They're better. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I can't wait, Trust dude. Me. They never make it that long. <laughs> dude, how do they make it that long? you got to wait a day. Oh, no way. I don't, I don't on, yeah, I don't think I'm capable. The cool thing about shrimping with Joe is that he's allergic to shrimp. That so is. we get his shrimp, too. Well, yeah. So that's what oh, we are you? Bring Joe. Yes, he's he an is. extra limit of shrimp right there. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I have always tried to cultivate relationships with people that don't that can't eat shrimp. For sure. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I found the everybody. Perfect... Everybody always invites me to go shrimp. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. It's weird. <laughs> oh, go back, going back to the brine question, though. You know, we do brine like a whole fillet when we pickle fish. Have mm-hmm. you tried pickling salmon? I have. I, yeah. yeah. And you brine it for like at least ten days. Two weeks, three weeks in a bucket of salt. So give us your basic wet brine because that's one thing we, we've been kind of dancing around and we haven't really. So if you've got like two gallons of water or what do you what do you start with? Yeah, like two and a half two gallons. Two and a half gallons It depends on how much fish you're doing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But so, let's just say two, two and a half gallons. So like three bags of brown sugar. Okay. Three so, 16 ounce. Is it 16 ounce bags? They're, they're, like, yeah. they, yeah. they're like. It's a three they're, to one mixture. They're two, they're right? two, two pounders. They're yeah. 32 ounces. If okay, a, yeah. A bag like that, yeah. So for a big a big batch of strips, which is about 20 fish, okay. um, we do three bags of brown sugar and then take one of those bags and fill it with salt. Gotcha. And what kind of salt are you using? I like, knew you were going to ask that and yeah. you're going to laugh. So it's just, it's the salt from the fish processing plant that, mm-hmm. you know, my dad's a commercial fisherman. Gotcha. Yeah. And I use that same salt for the brine and I use it to salt my hides. Rock it's salt? Just, yeah. It's, it's just a big. Yeah. It comes in a bag. Yeah. A big, yeah. like 25 no pound fancy bag. salt. No, yeah, but okay. probably, mm-hmm. yeah. probably non-iodized. Non-iodized salt. salt. Yeah. Yeah. E- yeah. Either way. Yeah. You- gotcha. <laughs> Fair enough. Whatever's there. Okay. Roger that. So basically, basically a three to one brown sugar to salt, which is, yeah. I- I'm like two and a half. And then to hose water. Salt. Yeah, <laughs> the, the trick is hose water. You, 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 you blast it, you know, so your it can dissolve the ingredients faster. There we go. <laughs> and the like kids it. like Very to help. Very technical. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. All right, uh, you got any more smoke smoke fish questions? Whatever. Make sure you text them up eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six. All right, coming up next, a critically acclaimed, award winning Northwest Outdoor Report right here on the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station seven ten, and the Seattle Sports app. 
The Northwest Outdoor Report is brought to you by Les Schwab Tires, taking your safety seriously for over 70 years. The Silver Salmon Fishery has been extended on the Snohomish, Kaikomish, and Snoqualmie Rivers through this weekend, with all three of those rivers closing down on Monday. Sufficient numbers of co in these rivers prompted the extension of the season. Data limit is two silvers, and both wild and hatchery silvers can be retained. Co limit increased in East Grays Harbor and Chehalis Basin. Enough silvers also returned to, Sh- to Grays Harbor and the Chehalis system to increase the limits there. Anglers can now keep up to two coho in the East Grays Harbor on the Chehalis and on its trips. One of them can be a wild coho as well. The Chehalis, Satsup, and Wainucci have all seen excellent returns of coho salmon this fall. As always, check out WDFW regulations online prior to heading out. Chum salmon have been returning to the South Sound in greater numbers than expected, and that's prompted the WDFW to open up two areas for chum retention. Car Inlet is open, and the area north and west of a line between Johnson Point and Devil's Head in the deep South Sound is also open. Chum salmon counts towards the salmon daily bag limit in these two areas. Dave Johnson from Kitsap Marina in Port Orchard says the winter trout fishing still excellent on nearby Kitsap Lake in Bremerton. Dave's been hitting the lake every weekend. Says he's been smashing rainbows, trolling black or olive woolly buggers with a small split shot in front of it. He thinks the state will probably dump even more trout in the lake ahead of the Black Friday fishing event coming up soon. Check the catchable trout plant database on the WDFW website to see which lakes have been stocked in western Washington. Coastal Steelhead Town Hall meeting. Steelheaders have the chance to attend one or more virtual town halls to discuss options for the upcoming steelhead season on the Olympic Peninsula. Wild winter steelhead have been returning in record low numbers, and fishery managers are looking for feedback on how to craft limited recreational fisheries on those coastal streams. The meetings are the meeting is on November 28th at 6 p.m. Log on information can be found on the WDFW Steelhead website. Grizzly bear reintroduction is back on the table in the North Cascades here in Washington. The plan for reintroduction was scrapped back in 2020 after a whole lot of pushback from the residents. A new plan being proposed now gives agencies much more flexibility in managing the large predators. Grizzlies once inhabited the North Cascades, but the last one was killed near Thunder Creek back in 1967. Sightings are rare, but do happen from time to time when grizzly bears cross the border from British Columbia into the North Cascades. WDFW is holding virtual meetings online November 15th and 18th and on December 1st and 2nd. Find meeting details online at the WDFW website. Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife has postponed the razor clam digging season on the coast due to elevated toxin levels. Test results last weekend indicated rising levels of demoic acid in the clams, making them unsafe to eat. Testing will continue and the beaches will be reopened for razor clamming when the clams are safe to eat again. The Northwest Outdoor Report has been brought to you by Les Schwab Tires. Find the best in tires, brakes, wheels, batteries, shocks, struts, and more at LesSchwab.com. Talk to Kevin John up at holiday sports for a long time yesterday he said there's a pile of birds up in the north sound uh out on the bay fronts they need a little water in the fields up there to get them in but he said there's just tons of birds up there and eastern washington's been good too but now we got this cold air coming in this week uh temps in the low teens you know down to like 10 12 14 degrees they're worried a lot of the big reservoirs and and impoundments over there are going to freeze up and put and when that happens those birds push down to the Columbia River down to Umatilla. Well and, and they'll also push into some of the some of the areas where you got some moving water. And when For the, sure. when the cold weather comes, yeah. those birds gotta feed and then they gotta go to water. It can lead if, to some really killer. If you've got access there. to some of those areas, oh, it can yeah. be good. Uh, also talk to Dave Johnson, of course, over Kitsap Marina. They've got the inventory thing starting to build up over there a little bit again, finally, at some of our dealerships, and they've got trailers, ton of kicker motors, everything in there. So give Dave a call over Kitsap Marina and uh, see what they got over I was down at Three Rivers the other day, hanging out with the guys. After the show, I popped in there, and uh, I rolled in there at about you know eight thirty, 
and some of the guys were just showing up. So I actually opened up the store with them, and, and they just have lines of Yamaha kicker motors. We were, I helped them wheel them all out and set them outside, but they're loaded up, too. Wheeled one out to your truck there. It's kind of yeah, like, I was like why put, wouldn't you? Put one of those in the back yeah, of the yeah. Subaru, boys. <laughs> Take two of those uh, 25 versions. Uh, this is one of the coldest early Novembers that, that I can remember around here. It, it's, you know, surprising. It's, it's going to do different things. To to our wildlife, excuse me, to our wild waterfowl migrations, and, and like you mentioned, I mean, we got our eyes kind of set on the end of this month, heading over to Mardom. Moses Lake freezes, those holes and yeah, all that stuff could freeze up. But I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we've got a trip planned over there, like a Tuesday Wednesday hunt coming up in a couple of weeks, and it's like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Cool thing is here on the west side for late buck. Temp- these temperatures, this whole situation perfect. is perfect. Dude. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, when the thing of it is, when you get nights that freeze like this. It increases their their the the fuel they need to stoke the stove with, so they got to be up and feeding. And they'll move. And yeah. and you add the rut to that, yep. and you add the lack of it, success it, that it, the guys had during that dry, smoky early sure. season. The yeah. key to these blacktail is find does. Yeah, f- f- be on the does this yeah. time of year. Yep, watch the does. There's going to be a creepy little blacktail bucks hiding somewhere in the bushes watching. <laughs> and I've I've talked about this before, but. I've watched does, and then you just kind of scan around, and then you'll, you'll see them hiding in the bushes like, over there. You'll just see They're them watching. standing there looking at the does. Yep. You know, I'm curious since you don't call here and you you rely on stalking. What kind of clothes do you wear? Do you wear wool because it's quiet, or uh, you really got to watch the wind. I mean, yeah. and, and uh, a long shot. You know, you might be shooting across a clear cut, but most of your shots are going to be pretty tight. You know, fifty to maybe one fifty. At the most, I've shot a couple up, maybe two fifty or so, but most of them are pretty tight. And you got to watch the wind. You know, you really got to got to play the wind. Have a windicator with you. Um, you know, the the crazy thing is though, you can stomp right through the middle of a clear cut. They'll hold wow. like a pheasant. Yeah. You know, a lot of times they won't blow out of there. They'll they're used to the brush pickers being out there. You know, getting ready for for the holidays coming up. They're out picking brush all the time, so they're they're used to a little bit of the commotion in some of these areas. These deer live. I mean, they live right. there. They they you saw know? one walking through the parking lot of Starbucks down here. Okay. Right. In, you know, they live yeah. around folks, so they're pretty I mean, used on to a, seeing on a people. Postage stamp, and and they'll mm-hmm. they'll stay there their whole freaking lives. And and guys will you know like like Robble said, just walk right past them. Tight cover blacktail hunting here in Western Washington. It's fun. It's fun. It's a pain. In it's the a pain ass. in the rear, but once you figure them out, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. But it, it wouldn't be the late season if the spigot wasn't turned on. It's right. got to mm-hmm. be literally pouring down rain. Well, you know, you hunt sick mm-hmm. blacktails up there. You got to be in your. You can't wear Gore-Tex. We wear wool, head to toe wool, wool, so wool and pants. Grundens. You know, full yeah. on. You know, polypropylene, whatever. I mean, you you got to wear a tarp basically to hunt yeah. these but things. You this know? is like I said, though, this is a really unusual temperature yeah, situation. No, you guys going on here. It's cool it really and is. dry. Yeah. You know, it, it's but it's not going to be soaking down, soaking wet. I mean, I see. Okay, well, let me take that back. Sunday, the last day of the season, but I don't see rain in the forecast for yeah. the first three days of late buck. So it's yeah, going to be interesting, ideal. definitely. All right, we cherish our hunting seasons and our opportunity to hunt. And these traditional outdoor pursuits of ours are under challenge, under attack like never before. Um, our next guest, Brian Lynn, is uh, works with the Sportsman's Alliance and was at a meeting of TWS or uh, the Wildlife Society this week in Spokane. Joining us next with kind of the troubling direction of wildlife management here in the state of Washington on the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710, 710 app. Get in, sit down, hold on, and listen up. 
You're in the RenaissanceMarineGroup.com's wheelhouse, brought to you by Weldcraft, Duckworth, and Northwest Boats. Welcome to the wheelhouse here in 710 ESPN's The Outdoor Line. So right around 2,000 wildlife biologists attended the Wildlife Society meeting in Spokane this week, and for really one of the first times were addressed by unabashedly, unashamed, anti-hunting and anti-fishing advocates. And and uh, our friend Andrew McKean, who's the editor of the Outdoor Life magazine, quoted our next guest several times during the article, Brian Lynn of the Sportsman's Alliance, joining us this morning. And he's a he's a refugee of this meeting in, in Spokane this week. And I just can't wait to uh, talk to you about this. Brian, welcome to the show. And how are you this morning? Morning, Brian. Morning, Brian. How are you doing, buddy? Morning, guys. Uh, doing good. Down in Walla Walla for the weekend, but uh, hanging in there and uh, happy to be on. Thank you. Tell us what's going on. You know, we've got this new Wildlife Commission, of course. It's kind of kind of trying to change the scope of, of what we do here in Washington and how we manage our wildlife. Tell us tell us what path we're, we're kind of going down here, buddy, and, and what, what uh, hunters here, at least in Washington, should be aware of. <laughs> uh, where, where to start with that one? Uh, where they're taking us is nowhere good. Uh, and what we should be aware of is... Uh, they're trying to end hunting. The spring bear is a perfect example of it. Uh, it's becoming this uh, big flashpoint. The you know Inslee has appointed five of the nine commissioners are unabashedly against hunting, protectionist uh, values, uh, big big carnivore, large carnivore protectionists, and that's pretty much what at the uh, conference the other day on Wednesday, it was all about was uh, about uh, protecting large carnivores, letting them replace hunters and the effects there. And that's where they're trying to take it. And, you know, we've seen it in mentions coming up in, in Washington game commissions. We are, we are their shining example to use to everybody else. And the commission's direction right now is, and I quote, transforming the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife from a model of consumptive use to one that prioritizes preservation of natural ecosystems. And there, you sent me a screenshot of a PowerPoint from one of these groups, which states the original model worked well for managing species for hunting and fishing. It was a model for a time period that doesn't exist anymore. Well, excuse me, if, <laughs> if we still exist and we still hunt and fish and millions upon millions of dollars are being generated by the Pittman Robertson act for wildlife conservation statewide. This is a time that doesn't exist anymore. What, well, what, it, well, what, and their voice matters and apparently ours doesn't is what they're saying. You yeah. Know? So, so yeah, so it, I was sitting next to a biologist, uh, out of Spokane there and he was like, what? Like, it was worse in the 1920s and the 1900s. They, they were in a worse predicament where they needed us more than, you know, and now they still need us. Like, they, they were sitting there trying to spin everything, and they do it really well. I'll, I'll give them credit. I mean, they're great at marketing, great at piggybacking on larger social issues and tying those emotions together to advance their agenda. They throw in big 5 and $10, you know, scientific-sounding words and all sorts of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's just smoke and mirrors. And uh, what was just said is exactly right. Their voice matters. Ours doesn't. And nothing and, and nothing that they're saying is based on science, where these no, biologists no. are there to, to make decisions based on the science that they do. Yeah. They're there 
they're making it sound like it's science, but really it's just their their feeling, you know, about their, this thing. Their that we opinions, do. yes, their opinions, and and that was that was brought up. You know, Kim Torburn brought it up. She said it. You know, they mm-hmm. only left about time for four questions to be asked, and Kim Thorburn, the sitting game commissioner, you know, basically, she, well, she point blank said, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, you know, and and took him to task and said, basically, what you're saying is the values matter, your values matter, everybody else's don't. It's very exclusionary. And that was kind of the theme I took away from the whole thing was hypocrisy. They pulled my, they pulled my, uh, my column up that I wrote and said, this is dangerous rhetoric, dangerous rhetoric. And they called me out and then they, but then they threw up one of the guys presenting, put up a picture of uh, like six dudes with a dead wolf who had white hoods on holding American flag. And he went on a rant about that, but then he threw it at the end that this was a legal wolf hunt. So my question was, that's a legal wolf hunt. Are you mad because they killed a wolf because it was a legal wolf hunt? Or are you trying to make a point with the white hoods and the uh, American flag and the extremism? So he accused me of extremism and then engaged in an extremism. So they could do everything they want. And they actually got called out for that at the end by the CEO, Ed Arnett, of the Wildlife Society. And so it was, the whole thing was just hypocrisy. Again, you use, know, we use don't it. use the best available science, yeah. and then they pull out science that was mix and mash. Yeah. Well, using emotion. Yeah, and, uh, and, and my concern is Commissioner Thornburg immediately placed herself on the endangered species list because oh, yeah. Jay Inslee's ideology is to replace these ideology-driven folks on the, on the commission and take the science – so the, the 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 folks that actually believe and participate and study wildlife science, you know, um, Commissioner Don McIsaac, Kim Thornburg herself, I mean, you know, recognized in their field as as people that people that understand wildlife biology and and should be on the commission. Well, and if you go look at Washington Wildlife First um, or for all, their Washington Wildlife First, right on their website, that is one of their goals. They got to get Governor Jay Inslee to replace. These commissioners that don't agree with their, you know, with the way they think. Yep, and, and this is something we've been we've seen at the Sportsman's Alliance for years now. We're battling it all over the country. It took place in Tennessee last year. You know, they were trying to shift it over to the, you know, put uh, the Ag Commission in charge, which is better than an animal rights activist. But at the same time, that can go too far the other way. Where hey, let's kill all the deer. You know, so there's a fine balance to walks. But we see this in New Hampshire. We see it in Vermont. We've seen it in Vermont where they're trying to, if they couldn't uh, replace and change the thresholds for becoming a, a game commissioner, they tried to create an entirely new system and council that oversaw them to make another layer of bureaucracy. So they're just they're trying everything they can across the country to implement this strategy of changing criteria to become a game commissioner. How do people get involved, Brian, and, and uh, maybe uh, help out here and, and uh, help out hunters here in Washington? How do folks get involved, and where can they write in and, and, and voice their opinion, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, Washington, this is, I mean, we are not on a good path, guys. This is bad. We have ideology and political power all congregated in the same spot. Jay Inslee is the almighty, all-powerful. He's not even trying to hide it anymore. 
Like he's not even going to throw us a bone of, hey, this is actually a strong hunter. He's stacking the deck. The legislature is all Democratic majority. And the ones that are even interested in doing it from people we've talked to are afraid to do anything because they don't want to get on the governor's bad side. So we are not in a good spot. And then if, if and when Inslee ever gives up power, we got Ferguson or another one coming down the pike. So, Getting people elected, your local, your your representatives and senators, Senate especially, because they do a lot of the approval process for these commissioners. That's where it's got to change. We've got to, you know, change the process. And there's different groups of us working on trying to work on some things to make commissions, you know, uh, to, to change this problem. And all of this happens now with the backdrop of the reintroduction of Grizzlies into the North Cascades. You know, we've we've seen an upswing in both fatal and just trips to the emergency rooms provoked by large predators. A couple weeks ago, had this gal in, uh, in, in Leavenworth end up, black bear sends her to the hospital. You know, earlier this summer, we had a little nine-year-old girl playing hide-and-seek get snatched up, up in Fruitville. A couple years ago, we had a mountain biker that, that was mm-hmm. killed by a cat, okay? So all this stuff has happened, and now you want to bring grizzlies into the mix. So we know... Of, of several of these incidents, these are just the ones we know of. Anecdotally, I could tell you a few more that have been related to me. But what folks don't know is they go into the woods now. There are different eyes on them. And they would be spooked if they knew exactly what was out there. Now you're adding grizzlies to this mix. This is a dangerous path we're on. And it's going to result and has result resulted in tragedies. And, and so... To, to just brush, brush away the hunters and say, well, this is, we don't need you guys anymore because we got all these large predators. That amounts to a public safety hazard that we're staring right in the face, Brian. Then I'll let you react to that and exactly. get you out here on this. No, exactly. You're exactly right. It's gotten to the point where it's not even in the woods anymore. Leavenworth, that bear attack took place in town. Yeah. Two years ago, there was a mountain lion in Ephrata, Washington, downtown. It was tranked inside their house, in the, in the kitchen, and that was two blocks from my mom's house. Like it's not even in the woods anymore. They they're coming into towns. They're they're moving in, and that's the whole goal is protectionism. It doesn't work everywhere. It's been implemented. It has failed. For instance, just as I walked into the Wildlife Council conference on Wednesday or Thursday, whatever day it was, it, uh, Governor Phil Murphy in New Jersey rescinded his ban on bear hunting. Mm-hmm. This is a man who is completely in their camp. Complete, completely ideologically he aligned ran with on him. It. He he campaigned on it exactly, yeah. and his reelection he campaigned on it. Mm-hmm. He ended it. He took it to court. We went to court with him. We put an expert on the stand, expert like the people that were sitting in that room, who said in two years you're going to see an exponential rise in conflicts with bears. Two years, almost to the day that he had to rescind the ban and say that he had no other choice than lethal hunting because of a 200 to 500% increase yeah. in bear conflicts. Yeah, 237% increase in bear conflicts in the last two years in, in, in that state. And, and, you know, we may see that here. I don't know. They may never get the get the clue, but uh, maybe at some point um, they'll get the clue here in Washington and, and maybe change the course we're on. Well, but look, I, I don't look, know. We're on this path look, here for a little it, while. So. If they end up shutting down bear hunting completely um, when they walk into my house, that's how I'll get my bear. <laughs> when they come in my kitchen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, it, it's sad that all the millions upon billions of dollars that, that, that hunters and anglers have pumped into wildlife management and conservation to, to suddenly 
have that discount and say, well, that was that era. That's that's over and wave your hands and do that. It, it's so it's so dishonest that I, I, I'm not sure I have words for it, Brian. But that we thank you that, for that's exactly what it is. It, it's you know they're either naive or they're disingenuous, and I believe they're disingenuous because somebody asked them that question: what What are you going to do to replace this? And they had this hmm ha answer that was talking about well we have to get you know help from the general fund. It has to come from the general fund. Like Republicans and Democrats are all just going to hold hands in all fifty states, sing kumbaya, and say hey let's give you know, $10 million to save the three-toed pink salamander in this basin when we have epidemic of homelessness, drug use, mental health issues? No, that's not going to happen. Yeah. This is the only way, and this is the model that works. You know, even the the one gal who actually tried to use science in her presentation, Harriet, who used to be the endangered species uh, coordinator for Washington State, who, by the way, let the caribou go extinct in the Selkirks, while the wolves ate them, you know, so I don't know what that's all about. But uh, she pointed out all these songbirds like to mix and match North American endangered species with global biodiversity losses. But then she said the only place we are seeing a rise in songbirds and stuff are in the wetlands. And that's because the funding that's been driven into it. Where did that funding come from? came from hunters it came from uh conservation groups delta and ducks and everything else and the wet uh, wetland uh duck stamps you know so it's just hypocrisy smoke and mirrors he's brian lynn the website is sportsmansalliance.org brian don't be a stranger buddy we're gonna have to keep our eye on this because uh i tell you what we we, we've got to affect change um or else we're going to have some deadly encounters and and it's going to be tragic and, and it's going to point right back at the people that 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 put this ill-advised policy in place. Brian Lynn, sportsmansalliance.org. We appreciate your time, buddy. Thank Thanks, you, Brian. Brian. We need to get Thank in a duck blind again. Been too long. All right, buddy. We'll be in touch. See you, Ben. Anytime. Thanks, guys. All right. Coming up next, the hottest report we heard all week and the techniques you need to succeed. It's Roy Robinson RVs, really? Where? And it's next here in the Outdoor Line. Seattle Sports Station, 710 and the 710 app. No way. you got to be kidding me. Really? Where? It's coming back. The island of Tinny and Delady. Where'd you get him, man? Hey man, can you tell me where you got them? I'll never put on a nice jacket again. Welcome to RoyRobinsonRV.com's Really? Where? Where? RoyRobinsonRV.com will take you anywhere. Really? It's time to step up to the number one Winnebago dealer in the Pacific Northwest, the all-new Roy Robinson RV Center at Smoky Point. You're going to find a complete selection of Class A's, Class B's, Super C's, travel trailers, fifth-wheelers, toy haulers, pop-ups, campers, and so very much more. Find that all at Roy Robinson RV, <laughs> RoyRobinsonRV.com. He's like a machine gun with that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Got froze up there real quick, but uh, we got some silver fishing still going on here. We have an extension on the Snohomish system through this weekend to go out and catch silvers. There's a pile of silvers in there. Scott and the just water got them. conditions are beautiful. Oh, money. Uh, the Shehala system, a uh, pile of silvers down there, hump tulips. Mm-hmm. I know uh, out on the on the Solduck, Mikey Z and the guys out there have been stroking silvers. Uh, the east basin of the Shehalis River, a bunch of silvers in there. So there's still plenty of opportunity to go out and get some silvers and come home and strip them out and use AK Moosey's recipe here to, to dry them out and make yourself some salmon strips. So opportunity there. Also, uh, you know, we we failed to talk about these traditional wooden hooks that you guys use up there. You got a 276-pound halibut on a traditional wooden hook last summer, and people are like, no way. She didn't do that. I'm like, yeah, you, you did do it in 42 feet of water. 
It's just yeah. a cool process. I've got pictures on my Instagram. Of course, they're all over your page. A really cool process. And, and talk really quick about the construction of those hooks because there's two different kinds of wood in there that make the hook float perfectly underwater. Right. So the wood hooks, the clinket name for the wood hooks is called nuh. And they're meant to be set in pairs so they compete against each other underwater. And um, as far as the construction goes, one side of the hook is made from yew wood and the other side is made out of yellow cedar. And so, you know, that affects the buoyancy so they float perfectly, you know, when you set them. And you set them like a long line, you know, along the bottom. And we use a traditional rock sinker, you know, with the groove around it. And, um, yeah, when we set them, we give them encouraging words and clink it. So we say, We do that, too, with our hooks. We send them over, but a lot of times it doesn't, doesn't work. work. I'm yeah, telling so you, like, yeah. they don't like, listen on, get to, to our work, words. Get to work. Get down there and catch me a fish. But Yeah, so each one is carved um, with the design, and they have eyes made out of abalone so they can see what they're catching. And they're baited with octopus. And we tell them, Ikuayachwan weidei jindagut iukant or a cow, and then it means like, do the best you can. Your friend is coming to fight you, and it's encouraging them to go fight and yeah. to get a halibut. And sometimes you catch a halibut on each hook. Sometimes you just catch one. Sometimes you don't. But yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it's really it's really amazing. And My dad work. carves them, and we still use them. Oh, and, for sure. Yeah. And Traditionally, you look at the barb was made from a a bare bone, mm-hmm. but we use. Um, some modern materials today. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool that make that stuff and do it now. You're, you're, you're probably never going get, <laughs> to get me to make a wood hook, but it's absolutely fascinating the way you do that. And then wrap the octopus tentacle around the hook and stuff. I, yeah, that's, a, that's a few pages back on your Instagram feed. And, of course, you, you just you, that's Heather Duville you, you were just listening to, A.K. Moosey on Instagram. And, and just, just a fascinating page. Thank and, you. And, and uh, you really kind of brought me back to – you know, some of my early Alaskan experiences with, with, with cold smoking. And that's, you know, kind of one of the reasons that, that I kind of locked onto your page was doing that. And it's, you know, I, I, Joey and I both, we fish together all summer long and you get to handle a lot of fish and do that. And it takes several fish to get this process down. But once you do, you'll throw your box and hot plate smoker. I mean, it's just, it's so much better. It's easier to, it, it, and it just the, the flavor of it is just phenomenal. The texture, too, is texture, just so yeah. mm-hmm. much different, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to watch your journey. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, I just need some fresh fish now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, typically, you know, years ago, we we winter blackmouth fish. We could we could catch uh, salmon in, you know, all the winter months. Now we, we have a, a, a local season here. We can, we can start again in February. And then, uh, then in March, we'll go out to CQ and go monkey around. But then, you know, once we, we start seeing springers here in April and stuff, it's then it's, you know, here comes Sitka and here comes you know, our, our, our runs into Puget Sound, which are, which are building, which is kind of making me wonder what's going to happen with the steelhead runs because the ocean has bounced back to the point where we're, we're seeing an upswing. We saw more Chinook than was forecast. We see more coho than was forecast. We certainly see more chum. Well, yeah, the chum. I, I was up fishing the, the chum collection program with Todd Daniels. And I was surprised how many chum are in the river, and they're 
I mean, you saw some of those yeah. pictures. Tankers. Beautiful. We got Big. some cranker chums on the schedule I mean, the other day, too. I know they're pouring into the coast. It's good to see them bouncing back. I know they're expecting really, really low returns of steelhead on the coast again. In fact, there's some virtual meetings coming up here to talk about proposed seasons. Um, you can jump on the WDFW website and, and, and uh, see when that meeting is. I want to say it's the 28th of November, but they're expecting to press run. So I don't know what the link is there between steelhead and salmon. Apparently there isn't one. Uh, but you're right, Tom. Our silver runs have really mm-hmm. bounced back here, chums. And we've had some great king runs. And, and uh, hopefully up in southeast we see the kings return again this next summer because it was tough last summer. But uh, – yeah, good to good to see the chums back for sure. You brought some some dried chum in, and saltwater chums. We catch a lot of them up in southeast. The run up there was just insane last summer. Yeah. They eat really good. Folks down here are used to the river chums, which you know if you get a bright one, they're good. But overall, most of them are colored up. They're fun to catch. We let them go. But those saltwater chums do really eat good. So thanks for bringing that in. Yeah, yeah you thank bet. you. Very well, thanks much. for thanks for coming in. Yeah, thank you. Goodness, Cheesh. Ne- next time, next time you're in town, we'll, we'll have to do it again. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank to come you. This morning. It's an honor to be here. Well, we, you know, we we don't we don't get a get out much and get to play with others. So every every now and then <laughs> they we don't get, let us. We, guess, yeah. they don't, they, they, we can track they, Rob down. <laughs> I know. I'll see you guys in another month or so. I don't know where I'll be, but I'll figure uh, something out here. To Rob's point, that Coastal Steelhead Town Hall meeting is on November 28th yeah. at 6 p.m. And you can find more information about that at the WDFW website. You missed any of the show, uh, make sure you jump on MyNorthwest.com, hit the OutdoorLine.com or download that Apple Podcast app and hit that up. Give us a follow on social media at AK Moosey, at Rob Ensley, at Joe Pyburn, or at the Outdoor Line on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. For Matt Nelson behind the glass, Joey Pyburn, Rob Ensley, Heather Duville. Thank you again for joining us. I'm Tom Nelson. This has been the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app.